Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America wide. Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad. It's 1234 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer with you on Oilers Now. Again, I'd like to thank Adam Scorgi, Making Coco. That's the documentary. Uh, TBA on an announcement for an Edmonton premiere. It'll obviously take pla- take place after uh, the Oilers get back. Uh, from a f- Well, it's not really going to be a four-game road trip, as it turns out. The team will, I guess technically it will be, if you include the exhibition game in Germany. But uh, the Oilers will wrap up their uh, home exhibition schedule on a Saturday afternoon, uh, the 29th, and fly that night into Germany. They'll take on Cologne on a Wednesday. That'll be an 8 o'clock puck drop time here in 6.30. Jed, of, uh, Jack Michaels and myself, and then on to Gothenburg to start the regular season against New Jersey on a Saturday, and then Edmonton will fly Sunday into Boston, play Boston Thursday, play the Rangers in a matinee on Saturday, fly home that night, and then fly back to Winnipeg on Monday. Four road games to start the year. The Oilers have a tough schedule out of the gate, some really good teams that they'll be uh, meeting. Um, Changes on the coaching staff, and that's where we're going to go next. Uh, Jay Woodcroft was Todd McClellan's lead assistant associate for the last several years. He is now the head coach of the Bakersfield Condors, and he is a man of his word because when he was announced as head coach, uh, I asked him whether or not he'd come in the studio at the end of August when he got back into town, and he said he would, and uh, we are pleased to be joined in studio by uh, Jay. Jay, how's your summer been? It's been a great summer, Bob. Thanks for having me on uh, today. Um, had a good few months back in Ontario, and uh, where I have a cottage up in uh, cottage country near Halberton, Ontario, and feel refreshed, uh, recharged, and ready to go. It's obviously a completely different uh, scenario for you moving forward. And that's that's where I want to go. Like we talked a bit off air here. I mean, I love what I do, but when we had the type of season that the team had last year. Uh, and I know, okay, starting April the 13th, like it's, I'm going to have four months without uh, April, May, June, July, August, four and a half months without Oilers hockey. And I'm going to have to deal with the challenges of what occurred here in terms of the failures with the team last year. For, you know, for my end, I, you know, I'm sitting there going through every single part of it. At what point do you, so you decompress, you get away. How long did you sort of, you know, with Todd and uh, with Jim and with Ian, sit there and evaluate what happened, knowing that there was a distinct possibility that there could be a change for all of you guys. Well, I think it's part of the due diligence at the end of any season, whether you go four rounds deep or or you don't make the playoffs. Um, it's part of the due diligence of a coaching staff and a management group to really look at uh, your organization, your team, what, the, what went right during the, the season, what went wrong, um, areas of strength 
strength and areas that need to be addressed going forward. Uh, so that was all part of it. Um, you're still raw with some of the emotions of of um, of the, a year where you failed to meet expectations, both uh, externally and internally. And uh, so for us, it was it was figuring out um, what exactly did go wrong and how it can be addressed going forward. All right, uh, you. I mean, you had lots of different. Uh, inputs and roles on Todd's staff. One of the things, if you had told me a year ago at this time that the power play was going to be 31st Mm -hmm. after you guys the year before finished 5th on the power play, but with the highest power play that the Edmonton Oilers had had since, I believe, 1985-86, over 30 years, 22.9% was the best power play. You were second in the NHL from December of 2016 until the end of the regular season. And then the power play was 12th when we flew from... Uh, you played in Dallas, you lost after. That's when Connor was sick. Remember how sick Connor was there yep. for a while? And uh, I don't even know if he should have been playing, but you, you guys played Vegas and Dallas back-to-back and scored six power play goals in those two games, and your power play was 12th in the league. It finished 31st. Now, you were a guy that headed up that sort of area in yep. concert with Todd. Did you... Did you just like think like what what I guess the question I have is what do you think happened with, on that front now that you've had some time to to kind of think and I mean obviously you must believe that it can turn around because look what it did uh, you know a year and a half before yeah I I would say that's the good news is that I I know it will turn around the the players that are in the organization have a lot of pride um, it's a real focal point for the group. And uh, they've shown that they can do it before. So I'm quite confident that our our players in the Edmonton Oilers organization uh, will make this a point of... of uh, concern right off the bat and make sure that uh, the necessary work gets put in. I would say, you know, um, last year the power play was um, part of uh, a few things that didn't go right. Um, the first thing for me, though, when I when I look at it, and you're right in saying, you know, that was my starting point a lot of the times in the morning. So that yeah. I looked at it as almost I'm the caretaker. Right. Obviously, the way Todd runs his staff is that everybody's involved and uh, has in, in everything and has input. And it's very collaborative, collegial type atmosphere. Um, but so as the primary tear, take the uh, caretaker of that um, responsibility, I have a lot of pride in it and took a lot of pride in it and have spent a lot of time looking at it. Um, For us, we looked at uh, if we were able to do some of the things that we wanted to do, certainly for the uh, through the first 20 games, uh, we were we were decent. We still weren't at at the level we wanted to be. But that first segment of games, uh, you know, we were seeing some results. But at that point in time, uh, disturbing trends started to show up, which was that we weren't drawing very many power plays. Right. And uh, when we weren't drawing very many power plays, uh, that makes it tough to get into a any type of rhythm. Uh, and then we went through a pretty uh, difficult um, part of our schedule where we weren't playing as well as we needed to. And then you're getting a, a one, one and a half, maybe two power plays a game. It's hard to establish that rhythm. That's incumbent upon the coaching staff and the players uh, working together, making sure that you do take um, those one or two power plays uh, with a sense of urgency about it. We really struggled uh, from 
I would say December 10th, 15th onwards for, for a long time. When we struggled, um, we went through some changes in our power play uh, last year. We we looked at uh, different types of uh, groupings of players. We looked so adjustments on personnel side. We looked at adjusting um, uh, tactics, uh, major shifts of where certain players ended up. Right, and then uh, we worked through that. But again, we weren't we weren't drawing very many power plays. So. Um, when you coach those positions or that that type of special team, you look at certain things of um, are you accomplishing different markers that you want to hit? Uh, for us, uh, some small but things. This is interesting for me because my understanding is you did hit some of the markets here. That's yeah, yeah. That that is very interesting. So we looked at. Uh, you know, it was disappointing that we. I think in an 82-game schedule, we're the lowest power play team of all of all time in an 82-game schedule. I believe that. That's how the hell does that happen when you have the league scoring champion and he's got the puck as much as any forward in the league? Yeah, I, I don't know. It was an anomaly. So See, you can't say it, so I'll say it. They just didn't call him <laughs> enough because they can't. They're not in position to call the penalties when it's obvious that there's penalty. Like that's what defies logic to me. <laughs> Watching the game is broadcast. I'm going. Okay, I know you can call a penalty on him any shift because he is that good. But how is this team the team that's been the, the least power played team? And since you've gone to 82 games, the yeah. orders they were the le- you had the yeah. fewest amount of power plays. Yeah, and uh, power plays per game was different during one of the lockout short shortened seasons. But that is it's an interesting stat. And regardless, as uh, coaches and players, you got to deal with what what is getting called rather than worrying about what's not getting called. So, but that that was a frustrating part. But that that's. Uh, one thing, uh, but we looked at our face-off percentage, which is key on power plays. Whether you're starting with the puck, it was above our uh, standard average, which was a positive sign for our team, which has really struggled in the circle over the last few years. That was one of the things we looked at um, when we were entering uh, the other team zone. So our power play breakouts and entries were at the top of the league uh, in our ability to break down teams' uh, penalty kill four checks. When you looked at things like zone time, uh, shots per power play, um, chances per power play. We're all uh, well above the league average in those situations. So uh, as poor as the finishing result was, and believe me, like as I said at the start of the interview, uh, no one was happy with with where we finished. It's it's been a subject of a lot of thought and a lot of studies to make sure that we correct it organizationally going forward. No one was happy with that, but there were some good signs. Uh, We're looking to be able to, uh, not only in Edmonton, but also in Bakersfield, uh, continue to do some of those good things and increase our production or our finishability on those power plays. All right. Jay Woodcroft is joining us in studio. It's 1244 in Edmonton. Guests on the show receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Follow the sizzle to Alberta's own Roos Chris Steakhouse, 9990 Jasper Avenue. Reminder, every Wednesday night is date night at Roos Chris, where two can dine for $120. Just a final thought for me on, on the power play stuff. Here's how this kind of works for me, Jay, is I look at it and go, you know, there were critical times and games that were hanging in the balance where you didn't get a game tire because when you did, did finally get a chance, power play didn't convert or you didn't get that you know that look you were looking for um but i can't underscore that you ended up having the scoring champion in the league with the worst power play a year after the team had had the best power play in 30 years it it kind of defied logic 
and as a result, the norm kind of comes back. That's yeah. the general rule of thumb. But, you know, as a coach, when you get those, like, you know, the amount, like the plus minus numbers for the players are skewed for some of the offensive guys because you're constantly chasing games and you're having to pull your goalie at the end of the game. And if you get a critical power play goal, at a, at a, it's a completely different type of game. People get that listening to the show because this is a market where people get hockey. Yeah. And that's why I'm like, the numbers, they can change dramatically. Like the fact that Darnell Nurse finished, and I know plus minus is a little, you know, we look more at Corsi and Fenwick and those sort of things. But the, the fact is there was a lot of guys who's like Leon Dreisaitl finishing the year minus seven. If the power play were better, my guess is he's probably even or plus five to plus ten. Right, and you got to factor in also that if if uh, if you do score at those critical moments, sometimes you take the lead and you and those players are on the ice in empty net situations right. to be able to score. So that's the it, the inverse takes place in terms of the stats. Exactly. When we come back with Jay, we're going to talk about the transition to coach, how it came to for, uh, to be a head coach in Bakersfield, why the time was right now for Jay because he has had these opportunities before. And uh, the symbiotic relationship and philosophical uh, perspectives that he shares with Todd McClellan and how that can help an organization out in terms of grooming their players moving forward. And later on in the uh, second half hour that Jay's going to do with us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Uh, we'll talk about uh, some of the responsibility with working with some of the young kids that the Oilers are going to have down in Bakersfield. This is Oilers Now. Twelve forty-eight in Edmonton. Uh, significant change for Todd McClellan's staff, Jay Woodcroft, who's uh, been with Todd uh, throughout his time in San Jose and in Edmonton. Now the head coach of the uh, Bakersfield Condors, and we're going to bring uh, Jay in. Uh, Jay's been kind enough to join us in studio. So, Jay, just a thought on, I mean, obviously you had a decision to make. There were other opportunities for you as well. Uh, why was this the right time for you to go become a head coach? Because you've never been a head coach. And and is that, you know, it, does that weigh in the back of a guy's mind a bit? I mean, you know, you've, you've been this assistant throughout the course of your career or an associate. Um but you know, is it is it a little bit intimidating to think this is now going to be your baby? No, I I think uh, this is something that I've worked towards through my 13 years in the National Hockey League. I've had re- two really good teachers in in Mike and Todd, and uh, for me, I've I've worked with a lot of really good coaches along the way. I've I've taken some of the lessons that I've learned very seriously and and tried to learn from them, learn how some of these top coaches um, handle different situations, both 
both, uh, you know, being able to handle um, success, but also being able to bounce back uh, in adverse times as well. Uh, I'm a quick study. It's uh, it's my passion. It's a craft that I, as I said earlier, take very seriously. I felt at the end of the day that this was the right time uh, for me in my career to take that next step after having worked 13 years under some uh, pretty good tutelage. Um, are the players today, in terms of reinforcement and how you communicate, because you have to be firm in terms of getting the point across that you need to get across, I think it's fair to say never more so than ever you also have to be supportive right very different than i mean you're i think you're about eight to ten years younger than me but just in terms of what guys and and people think that sometimes we talk about this too much on the air but the fact is it is a completely different generation of athlete today than ever before yeah it's uh, it's an interesting topic or line of uh line of thinking i think um the best the way coaches go you know Good coaches can can talk about uh, the what. Uh, a lot of really good coaches or, or top coaches can explain how. I think the best coaches in the world explain why. And uh, that's something that I've learned from, from Todd. Um, showing players uh, if they do certain things or if, um, tactically or even off the ice um, that this is what will help the team have success. Uh, and when the team has success, it's also going to help you have personal success as well. When you can explain the why, which Todd is a, a real master at, I think uh, you gain buy-in and really create a want-to-play-for mindset. How much work gets done with video? in terms of educating the players well that's i think each coaching staff has its own kind of philosophy on that i can tell you that um, the staffs that i've worked on do a lot of video work um, behind closed doors so uh, the work that gets done by todd's staffs uh, there's a lot of uh, prep work there's a lot of review work of your own team there's a lot of work on uh, staying current with what's having success in in the league and that type of thing. Uh, but what actually gets shown the players gets whittled down to the very lowest common denominator. I think uh, I think the way the game's going today, and everyone knows that it's based on speed, and you want your teams to play fast. Right. But you don't want to slow them down by managing every breath and every movement. And that's what happens if you uh, give the players too much to sink their teeth into. I, I think and it's going to be a real focal point of uh, our team in Bakersfield going forward uh, is that we're going to pick four or five really important things. We're going to focus on them. We want the, the players to have a firm understanding of those four or five things rather than a poor understanding of a myriad of different things. Uh, so we're going to boil things down to the lowest common denominator and make sure that uh, we're really hammering down on the points that we feel important. The fact that you've, you know, spent all these years with Todd, that philosophical alignment, should assist in the transition of players from the minors to the pros, should it not? Yeah, I think, uh, I think so. From Bakersfield think, to yeah. Edmonton? I think uh, the ability to, um, first of all, just a continuity of language, this, the ability to describe things the way we teach, um, the way uh, 
understanding of expectations and standards. The the thing for me is is that when a so player, you said standards, you said rules. I like that. Yeah, well, for because sure. Because rules to me has. You know, rules are Lou Lamarillo saying you can't have facial hair. For sure, right? For sure. And by the way, the he's not doing that with the Islanders. Really? Yes. Really? I didn't know that. And you know why? Because Trotz has some input in that decision as well, since right. they chased him so hard and he's coming off. His, but that's my guess as to what's happened there is Lou's backed off on that. Okay. Lou also didn't want individual players being heavily connected to specific charitable organizations at times. He wanted it being a team thing instead of... Uh, I, I know that there is a little bit of pushback on that front when he first really? went into Toronto. Yes. Really? Um, so, so for me, that advantage of understanding of exactly what uh, Todd wants and needs out of a player playing at the National Hockey League level, it's a real benefit not only for me to uh, impart that to these young guys, but uh, it's a benefit to those young players because uh, I would like uh, when a player gets called up uh, to not be surprised by anything, not be surprised by the pace of practice, not be surprised by what's expected of him as a personal or as a professional. And uh, I, you know, I want these players, I want to give, help give these tools along with our coaching staff, uh, give them the tools that they need to be successful, not for a game or for a week or for two weeks in the National Hockey League. We want to give them the tools to be successful uh, in years. One of my frustrations, uh, Jay Woodcroft joining us, the head coach of the Bakersfield Condors. And I think it's less so an issue now in Bakersfield than it was previously in Oklahoma City. And I preface this by saying I really like Todd Nelson as a coach. I think he's a terrific guy. But I sensed at times, and maybe the caliber of young prospect was not there, but... And I've experienced this when the U of A used to play the Oda rookies because the U of A were all 23, 24, 25, and the Oda rookies were 19, 20. And my attitude was the U of A should win. They're, you know, they know their systems. They're older, more mature players. And that's the point. Older, more mature players can look better at 26, 27 if you got a guy coming out of college then spending a year in the coast and then coming up to the then a 19-year-old prospect that's really important. So how do you weigh that? Um you know, in terms of the development for the organization, you got Tyler Benson and Kyler Yamamoto. Uh, I don't want to say they're they're both destined to be on on your team, but my guess is they're both going to end up on your team. Versus a 26 or 27 year old guy that's uh, maybe an, uh, on an AHL ECHL deal doesn't have an NHL deal, but might be out playing them at some state. How do you how do you kind of weigh those two? Well. I think uh, the first thing is that you have to have an understanding that these young players that are coming into the organization and even some of the the second, third, fourth year pros, these guys are far from finished products. So you have to have that understanding that um, your job is to uh, develop these players. You want to do so in an environment that... Um, that encourages uh, personal growth, that encourages some experimentation within their game, but really help these guys maximize their potential so that they can reach their dream of of playing in the National Hockey League. If if an older player uh, is doing well, you also want to reward them as well. So the ability to make everybody important uh, on the team, whether someone's playing eight minutes or 18 or 28 minutes is key. Um, being clear on expectations, uh, on standards of uh, work ethic and professionalism and, um, you know, w- doing things in practice to 
bring out these players' skill level um, so that they can maximize their skill level and make them the best player they can be. I think those are all parts of the job of a head coach in the American Hockey League. When Ian Herbers was in Nashville's organization coaching Milwaukee, took over from Kirk Muller, he knew who he had to play. And, uh, I mean, there are some organizations where the the NHL organization's assistant GM is the GM of the farm team, and he signs off on the lineup. Who do you technically, who would you be in, other than talking to Todd a lot from a coaching perspective, will it be Craig McTavish? Will it be Bill Scott? Who exactly, how does that going to work? Well, at the end of the day, Peter is the president of hockey operations, so um, he's all of our bosses. But I'll be in contact with Craig McTavish uh, quite a bit, and we have been over the summer. I talked to Bill as well. Um, But I think uh, this is something uh, to make sure that the lines of communication are open, that you uh, it's a sign of a a good coach to... um, continually talk to the people that are in in management and keep them aware of what's going on on a daily basis and you come up with a uh, a thought process of what you think to do on a daily basis is all right jay woodcroft is going to be kind enough to stay with us for another half hour we're going to get into the specifics of some of the players on his team after we go to a global news weather traffic update with eileen bell oilers now with bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on oilers radio 6 30 chad